Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning, good morning, morning. It's the 29th of June. It's just it's so hard for me to believe. I look at the date on the calendar and I think to myself, how could 2023 be speeding along so quickly? And so I want to give glory to God. I want to acknowledge that this is the day that he has made and he has given us uh, to live as his children, as saints, as co-laborers and co-missionaries of Christ in the world that God so loves, um, that we have a great commission, that we are called together into community with one another to bear one another's burdens, to pray for each other, to walk together by faith out into the world that God so loves. Like, it's going to be a great day because it's God's day. And God is great. And He is good. And so let's be thankful to Him today. Find, Find some reason today to give God thanks and to give Him glory. Maybe there's something blooming uh, where you are. And you're tempted to say, oh, the pollen or, you know, I don't know, whatever you're tempted to like say that's like, right? I don't know about you. I'm always, there's, <laughs> there's always reason to have like cause to go, but I want us to like have cause today to thank God. So if something's blooming, here's what I want you to consider. Whatever's blooming, I want you to Look at it today and say, God, thank you so much for sending me flowers. That's so nice. They're so beautiful. Um, I acknowledge how delicate and fragile and how quickly they're going to pass away. And um, thank you for the privilege of getting to see them and enjoy them. They have, they have, they've brightened my day. And then I want you to consider all of the flowers in all of the places in all of the world that are only seen by God. I mean, if you climb to the highest mountains this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, they're covered. They're covered with these tiny, tiny, tiny little flowers that only God sees. I mean, for the most part, only God sees because not a lot of people tromping around out there. And so give God the glory today. Great things he has done. Um, And yes, so loved he the world that he gave us his son. So don't lose sight today of, of reality and the goodness of God, and the greatness of God, and the glory of God, and find, find cause, find, find reason today to give God thanks and to grant him the glory due his name. The Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 2 Timothy 4.2. If you are a preacher or a teacher, this is a verse that is definitely sown into your heart and mind. And if you're not, I want you to consider every person who has ever opened the word of God with you, because this is a verse of scripture that was sown into their heart and mind. So 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So where in the word are you today? One of the questions I always like to ask, you can let me know on the text line. It's always open, 877-933-2484. Um, 
what does it mean to preach the Word of God? What does it mean to have people, like this is a verse of Scripture that is addressed to people who have people. So we encourage your people with good teaching. So this is spoken to shepherds. Whose heart are you shepherding today? You are a shepherd. Uh, You're an under-shepherd. You may not be a pastor or a, a, a formal preacher, but trust me when I tell you, if you're a mom or a dad, an aunt or an uncle, if you are a person walking in the spirit of the living God, then you have people. Because God has entrusted to your shepherding um, people who, whose hearts he wants to shepherd through his word. So how are you doing that today? What does it mean to preach and teach and live and demonstrate and walk out the word of God into the world that he so loves? And are you prepared to do that today? Preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. And you say to yourself, this is particularly unfavorable times to be preaching the word of God. Really? Really? I mean, yes, most preachers that I talk to feel as if the times in which we live are challenging for the preaching of the Word of God. So let us be praying for people whose actual job it is to preach, but then let us also consider that it's our job to preach and teach as well. Whether the time is favorable or not, whether you feel like it or not, God says preach the Word. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage one another with good teaching. Hmm. Good teaching, first of all, let's, uh, there's, a, there's a qualifier there. Not all teaching is good teaching, so we have to be people who have a discerning spirit, know how to discern between good and false teachers, and the Bible has a lot to say about that. So whose teaching are you sitting under, and is their teaching good, qualitatively good? Um, and how has your thinking been corrected recently by the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God? How did that feel? Yeah, we don't like to be corrected. We certainly don't like to be rebuked. We do like to be encouraged. So um, consider the words of God's word today and consider the people who are preaching it. Be thankful for them. Be praying for them. And be encouraging others um, with the correcting and even rebuking, but certainly encouraging word of God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Ben Johnson's going to join us next. We're going to talk a little bit about the new frontier of faith at work. If you are a person who works outside of the home, then there are challenges that you are facing that prior generations have not faced. And, um, and this comes as a part of the identity conversation in the culture in which we live. So maybe you're a pharmacist or a coach or a doctor, a nurse, a medical professional, or a teacher, uh, a person pretty much working in any environment today. Um, and how is the identity challenge that others are facing in the culture now a challenge for you and me at work? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Ben Johnson is back. You can find him at WashingtonStand.com. We're going to talk about a number of pieces that Ben has posted uh, on a roundup related to abortion here in just a moment. But Ben, I'd love to begin um, with just a kind of a wide-ranging conversation about the new frontier that people of faith are facing at work. So good morning, friend. Good morning to you. How is the uh, transgender movement really transforming the workplace? Well, you talked about a new horizon, and uh, transgenderism at work is big sky country. Uh, You can see it everywhere that you go in every facet uh, of of work, in every sector of work. Uh, So, for example, uh, there were several stories in the news just uh, this past week. Out in Oakland, California, of course, that's the Bay Area, uh, slightly less expensive to live in than San Francisco, but uh, becoming more and more gentrified. Uh, In Oakland, 
there was a pharmacist who was asked to uh, give out uh, transgender hormones to someone, and he said, this is against my faith. And uh, right now that uh, that pharmacist's uh, performance, shall we say, is under review. Uh, there's a video of this which has been seen by several media outlets, and when he, he asks uh, the individual who's taking the uh, the uh, hormones why he's taking them, uh, the individual gets very upset, ends up uh, cursing at him in his face. But the employee is the one who is under fire because this violates the employee's Christian faith. Uh, and and they asked not to not to dispense these uh, these hormones to someone for that purpose. Uh, there were other pharmacists who could have done so, but. This pharmacist is the one who's under fire for it. Uh, you also see this uh, in the UK. There's a Christian doctor we've talked about in the past, a doctor uh, by the name of McCreth, who uh, had uh, applied to work for the uh, disability uh, service in the UK. Now, one thing that uh, we don't understand as well, of course, they have the National Health Service. It's a nationalized health service, and they are always short of doctors, always short of personnel. They don't have enough people there. And yet they would not hire him. Uh, he was he was going through the training process, and they asked theoretically what would happen if someone asked to be called by pronouns that didn't fit their their uh, biology. And uh, his you know, he was asked specifically about a six foot tall uh, man with a beard asking to use feminine pronouns, and he said, "I'm I'm an evangelical Christian. Uh, I am I am not going to use pronouns." That, uh, that go against my own faith. If I'm asked, I would refer him to another doctor. I believe in Genesis 127. God created man in his own image. Male and female created he them. He has already been through the courts because in the UK they don't have the same kind of protections for religion that we do. We talked about this at the time because the ruling from the court says, and I quote, belief in Genesis 127, lack of belief in transgenderism, and conscientious objection to transgenderism, in our judgment, are incompatible with human dignity. So Genesis 127, incompatible with human dignity, according to a court ruling. He has appealed that ruling, but I think that gives us an idea of what we're in for. And it's not even just in the workplace. You know, uh, there are, of course, uh, youth pastors who are faced with this question. There's a long article in Christianity Today about this. One of the stats in that, by the way, says that uh, one out of every five people in America who identifies as transgender is between the ages of 13 and 17. And that was an issue uh, also for people in high school. A, a Christian school in Vermont refused to uh, play in a basketball tournament last month. And the uh, Vermont, Vermont Principals Association has said that from now on they can't participate in any tournament. Uh, they refused to participate because there was a, a transgender player on the other team, and they realized that uh, someone who is a member of the opposite sex has a, a better advantage when it comes to these uh, things due to uh, the simple facts of biology, greater muscle mass, and so on. Uh, and scores tend to bear that out. Low-ranking runners, uh, for example, in Connecticut, broke records uh, when they competed in track and field against the opposite sex. So they said, we want to compete on a fair and level playing ground. And the Vermont Principals Association said, no, from now on, you can't compete at all. So we see even the idea of belief in the Bible in much of the world is considered a form of discrimination. And that is where American society is rapidly going if we're not very, very careful. If you're listening right now and you are facing uh, a particular challenge like this at work, whatever your place of work, um, if you are a 
medical professional or dental professional of any kind. Um, we want to direct you to the resources of the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Great collaborative efforts and legal help if you need it, need it cmda.org. If you work anywhere at any level of education, we want to direct you to christianeducators.org. Um, and if, uh, if you are um, facing a particular um, challenge, legal challenge, both Beckett Law Dot org and ADF Legal, that's the Alliance Defending Freedom, ADFlegal.org or BeckettLaw.org are places that you can get um, immediate help. Uh, and so we want to encourage you to take advantage of the resources that are available to Christians um, who are facing these particular kinds of challenges in the workplace uh, today. Ben, any, um, any other resources you might want to add to that list? Uh, those those are uh, by far they they are outstanding. Of course, there's uh, there are several others. Uh, I guess uh, First Liberty Council. Oh, First uh, Liberty. Yeah, is, is you know you know when you're brainstorming and you're like, I know I've forgotten somebody. Yeah, First Liberty is great. P- uh, the Pacific, those guys out there on the on the West Coast, um, Pacific yeah, uh, Pacific Legal. Uh, they are good. Yeah. Uh, First yeah. Liberty. Uh, there there's so many very good people. Uh, thankfully, uh, there there are many people who are on this. Unfortunately, I think the demand is going to uh, outrun supply. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So, um, Ben, thanks for briefing us in on that. When we come back, let's do a roundup of you've you've been covering these the the abortion conversation in the country um, from lots of different angles. So, when we come back, we're going to ask Ben to uh, give us a little bit of a survey of what he's been writing at Washington Stand. Did you know that? 200,000 babies have been saved in the year since the Dobbs decision. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a metric that we should know about. More uh, here on Mornings with Carmen. We're continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson, you can find Ben and what he's writing at Washington Stand. Dot com. That's where I found um, a number of articles on abortion um, around the country. So here are three headlines. 200,000 babies saved in the one year since the Dobbs decision. Uh, and then this, uh, this kind of odd one about the Biden administration uh, personally thanking abortionists. And then beyond Dobbs, like what are the national pro-life uh, projections uh, or protections being proposed by 
uh, people who are running for uh, the opportunity to be the president, the next president of the United States. So, Ben, read us in on these headlines. Well, the uh, the great news about uh, the Dobbs decision, which uh, just turned one year old this past week, is that uh, there have been tens of thousands of babies saved. There's no question about uh, the impact of it for life. Uh, in 13 states, according to one study, there was almost a 100% reduction in, in abortions uh, in terms of uh, what uh, uh, from from the very beginning of Dobbs all the way through this year, uh, essentially there were no abortions uh, uh, that took place in those states. The upper end of the estimates, the estimates vary, but uh, everyone agrees it's in the tens of thousands. Uh, the Susan B. Anthony list put out a an estimate that it was 200,000. Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma picked that up and talked about it last week. On the very low end is a, a projection from a a report called the We Count Report, uh, put out by the, the Society of Family Planning, uh, which is headed by a professor at Ohio State University who is very uh, in favor of abortion, or she calls it abortion rights. And she estimates the number at about 25,000. I talked to Dr. Michael New, my old friend who uh, works at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. He's at Catholic University of America. And he says that uh, that lower number is too low by far based on his estimates because he has looked at the underlying data. And in some cases, they are uh, overcounting. In other cases, by the way, the report notes that uh, abortion has been trending upward for at least the last five years before Dobbs. So you would expect the numbers to increase. And the fact that there was any decrease uh, tells you the impact of pro-life laws, the fact that we can now protect life in the womb is saving babies. And that's going to mean we have more friends, more colleagues, more co-workers, uh, more, more people to contribute to our society. Uh, so the person who cured cancer might have been saved as a result of this. Uh, as you say, they, not everyone had a positive reaction. There was a report from NBC News, which I saw. Uh, the report from NBC says, and I quote, that part of, part of the way that they were, uh, the White House was rolling out its uh, reaction to the Dobbs decision, which it's been very negative toward uh, for the last year, is, quote, Second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, that would be Kamala Harris's husband, Doug Emhoff will call doctors and thank them for their work. And when they're talking about doctors, they're talking about abortionists. Thank them for their work and hear about how state abortion bans are affecting their practices. So the White House personally had the husband of the vice president call abortionists to thank them for performing abortions and to ask how they can help, essentially, uh, which is heartbreaking. Uh, to, to see that kind of a, a, a devotion to an industry that is literally based upon taking the lives of their constituents. Uh, there was a gathering uh, over uh, the last weekend, Friday and Saturday in Iowa, where a lot of uh, the Republican presidential candidates were running. We know where the Biden administration stands. Uh, we, we have their record for the last two years, and particularly the last year, uh, when it comes to FACE Act prosecutions and so on. Several Republicans who were running for president were uh, were part of this uh, Iowa gathering, and uh, they they mentioned while they were there what they wanted to do. Uh, president uh, Donald Trump, who's of course the uh, the front runner, who says that there is a federal role for abortion uh, rights for protecting uh, those who are pro life and for protecting life in the womb. So he says that uh, when it comes to the right to life, there is a federal role for it, and there will be legislation uh, that protects the unborn. Uh, it seems as though he is coming out in favor of uh, of 15 weeks as the standard there. Uh, so also 
did uh, Mike Pence, former vice president, of course, they're running against one another now, and Tim Scott, the senator from uh, South Carolina, have all said that a minimum of 15 weeks is a good national standard. Of course, that would still allow about, if you add the um, the bill that uh, Lindsey Graham introduced, that would still allow about 96% of all abortions to take place. So it's a very minimal national threshold, but you wouldn't know that necessarily from the coverage. Uh, you also have Governor Ron DeSantis, who's number two in the polls, uh, who has signed a heartbeat bill, and he has defended that. Uh, so he is, uh, he is a little bit... Uh, um, closer to protecting all life uh, for himself and his current position. Uh, but it looks very much as though 15 weeks uh, appears to be the uh, the absolute minimum on which national pro-life leaders uh, would would endorse someone. So that, that seems to be where uh, the GOP is shaking out. And there's no question uh, the Democrats believe that they've staved off a red wave during the midterms because of this. They think that the Dobbs decision was their secret weapon. And uh, so this is going to be a major issue on that side. Uh, one of the things that uh, Tony Perkins and several others talked about uh, over the last several weeks is the fact that since this is going to be an issue, anyone who's running for office, particularly those who are pro-life, need to learn how to articulate it, how to stand up for the issue, to say every life is precious, we're made in God's image, uh, that there are no unwanted human beings, that there are people who are lined up, uh, there's a waiting list for years for people who want to adopt children. So. Please protect life, and uh, our leader's job should be to be sure that uh, life is protected, it's precious, and that every life has a chance to come into the world, every life has a chance to contribute to society and live out its God-given potential. Um, I think that I would add to the list of conversations that people seeking office, uh, conversations they need to be equipped to have on this front, um, I think that the conversation related to selective abortion is connected to the euthanasia conversation at the other end of life. Um, and we see it emerging, that conversation emerging in other countries where, you know, euthanasia is embraced and um, and they, they've now arrived at the point where otherwise perfectly healthy people in who are young, um, but who have, let's say, uh, uh, an autism diagnosis or a Down syndrome diagnosis are... Um, requesting that their life be terminated. And one of the arguments, Ben, is if if my mother could have chosen to abort me had she known I had this, why can't I choose to die now that we all know I have it? Mm-hmm. And w- it, that is going to be a very, very difficult um, argument for people who are pro-selective abortion, um, who want to see babies terminated because of a diagnosis, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to then speak out of the other side of their mouth and say, well, you know, we can't let people choose to terminate their life because they are now known to have a mental uh, disorder deficiency or something. But that's the direction that this conversation is going. And so if you don't understand that life is given by God and that people are knit together by God, conceived by him, created by him on purpose and for a purpose, every person. Um, if that's not your worldview, you're going to have a very difficult time um, articulating why we shouldn't just allow anybody to terminate their life for any reason at any point if we can, if you're going to justify abortion for any reason at any choice at any point along the way. So I just, I agree with you 
that people running for uh, running for office have got to learn to articulate their position and it's got to grow out of their worldview. And that's what we ought to be assessing as voters, the worldview of the person um, who wants to be serving us in 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 political office. Absolutely. And it's so important, as you say, for all of us to see every life as God-given, as precious, as every life has value, regardless of uh, what uh, uh, what abilities or, or other uh, problems the person may have physically, mentally, or in any other capacity. God sees them as absolutely perfect in the way that he sees them. Uh, he looks at their heart, and he died for everyone. So we need to love everyone as well and to mm-hmm. tell them uh your life may not be uh, everything in one regard as, as uh, somebody else. You may never be a, an Olympic athlete or uh, the, uh, the valedictorian, but you are going to have a precious life, a God-blessed life, and I'm glad that you're in my life. Amen. Amen. I'm glad you're in my life, man. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, as always, for joining us. Blessings on uh, the work that you're doing and your family. Um, and, um, and happy birthday to America, because we won't talk to you again until she's a year older. Amen. Happy birthday, America. Get well soon. (laughs) Exactly. That's Ben Johnson. He's the rights writer. You can find him at WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. So yesterday was our day of forgiveness uh, here at Faith Radio. I hope you are participating in our ongoing forgiveness journey if, uh, if you'd like to embark on a forgiveness journey with us, you can text the word FORGIVE to 877-933-2484. It's not just a day. It's not done in a day. It's a process. It's a journey. It's ongoing. Um, and it's not too late. It's not like, oh, I missed the day of forgiveness. I'm just going to have to just live in unforgiveness. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's not too late. It's not too late. Uh, text the word FORGIVE to 877-933-2484. Um, one of the texts that came in yesterday was from a dad who was just sharing this ongoing struggle he is having um, with unforgiveness toward a particular doctor who, after the birth of his son, his son was born with some very special needs. And after the birth of his son, that doctor um, projected a lot of guilt, uh, suggesting that the life of that child should have been terminated prior to birth. And, you know, now there was going to be this burden on society and this burden on the medical system and, you know, and you know, what were these people thinking? And this dad, you know, is still living with the memory of that meeting. And it is, it, that's a raw aching wound. Um, and he was celebrating that, you know, I, I wish that doctor could see my, see my son now, um, you know, at, at swim practice and um, living, you know, living life so well and such a joy. There may be some unforgiveness some experience that you've had um, that you just recognize, like, this is eating at me. I'm just going to encourage you to uh, seek forgiveness. um, And out of that great gift that God gives us, um, you know, consider extending it to somebody else. Not everybody sees or understands nor appreciates the joy that's experienced in families who have a child with special needs. If you look at a family that has a child with special needs and you miss the joy, this next conversation is for you. If you are a parent or a grandparent of a special needs child, an aunt or an uncle, you know, you know how much joy there is, but you also know it can be a really lonely road. Um, And so if you have a special needs child in your family, this next conversation is for you as well. 
I know you're yearning for community. I know you need support. I know you need time off and even yearn for time away. I want to encourage you today. You are heroic. You are enough. And in the midst of the most challenging moments, there are blessings to be had. So as you pour your energy and resources today into raising a special needs child, um, I know that it is really easy to struggle with feelings of isolation or the ways in which your kid is not, you know, rising to the level of what you might have expected or others certainly expect. And you might experience some guilt. You certainly um, know those moments of being overwhelmed. So we're going to encourage one another today as we navigate the emotional reality of raising kids with special needs. Amy Brown is going to join us. The book is The Other Side of Special, Navigating the Messy, Emotional, Joy-Filled Life of a Special Needs Mom. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Amy Brown is joining us now. She's one of three moms whose combined experience um, and maybe 30 or more years of raising children with physical, medical, mental, and emotional special needs. They've collaborated together. Um, They have a podcast um, and now a book. The book is The Other Side of Special, Navigating the Messy, Emotional, Joy-Filled Life of a Special Needs Mom. Amy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having us. I am so glad to be here. Yeah, we're so we're so grateful for you. Um, so um, maybe before we get started, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about your family and this collaboration with these other moms. I'd love to do that. Okay, I am Amy Brown, and I am a mom of six. What? Um, I, like, I know. You just say that. You say <laughs> that, and some people are like, I can't imagine. Now, I have six, but I didn't have them. So, right? They're all mine now. But yeah, so six kids is a lot. Well, I say sometimes it feels like 12, and they are, most of them are adults now. And I have three biological kids, three adoptive kids. We live in Michigan, and my adoptive kids came with um, special needs that I was not expecting because they were. Um, fetal alcohol, they had drug and alcohol exposure. Um, and I was not expecting that. That was not reported to us when we adopted our daughter. And then we have a son who we adopted when he was 10 from an orphanage. So he came with what is called attachment disorder because he had no parents or any nurturing caregiver for 10 years of his life. Um, so we have kids with what we call invisible disabilities. Um, mm-hmm. And my co-writers, Carrie and Sarah, um, Sarah has a child with a uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which is a terminal illness. And Carrie found out at a 20 week ultrasound that her child had spina bifida and he's medically complex. So here we are three separate women with very different diagnoses. We didn't know each other till we met in this group and, um, became friends and realized that even though we have different diagnoses, we have very common emotions. Let's talk about that. Um, Let's talk about the commonalities uh, that parents with children who have special needs, what what are some of the common emotions, feelings, challenges? Well, I would say probably the number one feeling is loneliness. That's what we hear from our readers and listeners that they just, they're looking at their situation and, and, and they don't know anyone who has their exact situation. And so they feel like nobody's going to understand this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the first thing that struck me when I had a conversation with Sarah. She has a child with a medical disability 
Um, and she had a lot of guilt. And I have a child with emotional and behavioral disabilities, and I had guilt. And we had doubt, like, why did God let this happen? And we feel overwhelmed. And <laughs> all those emotions, um, I was just surprised that we had such wildly different diagnosis, but we all felt, you know, guilt, despair, doubt in our faith, um, overwhelm, and also grief for what we were walking through. Um, I want to I want to give you, um, if you're listening right now, a sense of of the chapters um, in the book, because the the emotions, the realities that Amy just described are the starting point of each of the chapters. And so, um, you know, what does it look like in uh, in the life of a special needs family uh, to experience loneliness like how, or grief, doubt? Comparison, guilt, anger, despair, weariness, fear, overwhelm. Um, the 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 reality that this is not what I expected. This doesn't line up with my expectations, or even disappointment. And then each one of those is transformed. So loneliness to connection, grief to hope, doubt to faith, comparison to contentment. On and on and on. The book is the other side of special. We're talking with Amy Brown, one of the three co-authors of the book today. Um, I want to um, I want to ask you, Amy. First of all, thank you for your testimony, your willingness to sort of go public. You are allowing people who do not have a special needs child a window into um, the reality. Um, and and everyone listening right now knows a family who has a special needs child. And I can tell you, as a family who has a special needs child. Um, People avoid, they avoid us sometimes. They uh, certainly avoid asking, like, what's wrong with, what's wrong with your kid? Like, um, there, there's this avoidance thing. Like, can you help people get over the fear? Like, people don't need to be afraid of us because we have a child with special needs. It's not catching. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a couple things going on here. I think people don't know what to say. So then that makes us feel more invisible. Or mm. if they they say things like, Oh, I could never do what you do. Oh, you must be so patient, which then again makes me want to squash these emotions of no, I'm not patient or no, I'm doubting right now. <laughs> so there's this that isolation. If you only knew. There's right? totally this, oh, if you only knew. Yes. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. I think people don't know what to say. And I um and I think we have a, a, a tendency to want to go, I want to go in when you hear somebody that has a problem and solve it. And this isn't this is not something that's going to be solved with a quick little piece of advice. So people just feel so uncomfortable. And I I always say to others, we just want to feel seen. We're not asking mm-hmm. you to give us solutions or, you know, just like, hey, good job. Like, you know, or thank you. You just, just make us want to feel seen. Because honestly, in my experience, um, we do get avoided. And I also tell moms, it's not just... Uh, People, we want people to see us. We want to know that God sees us and he does. He sees us. He didn't, our situation may not change, but he's a God who sees us. And I think that's, that's what helps us get through each day. Cause this is our life. It's not like we're, it's a miserable life. It's just our life. This is what we do. And there are these emotions, but we can um, move past them. And I would say the book is not a how to like read this first chapter and you'll never feel fear again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's our, each one of our each unique experiences of how we've wrestled with these emotions. And honestly, 
we go back to them. Um, Sarah right now, her son with Duchenne just graduated from high school. She's mm-hmm. kind of back in that fear, like what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. But we don't stay there. And um, I think that's what, what is helpful about the book, that you can pick it up anytime. It's not like I'm going to read from page one to the end. You can say, you know, today I'm feeling guilt. And here's why I'm feeling guilt. I don't know what to do about that. So mm-hmm. we want people to know that we're just normal moms. <laughs> we just have some different aspects in our parenting. It's um, The book is a real gift, not only to those of us who have a child with special needs, but I think it's a real gift for people who want to be a good sister in Christ, a good, mm-hmm. um, a good friend along the way, a good neighbor, um, a good fellow church member to families who do have children with special needs. Like it, it, it's a wonderful equipping resource. Um, I have uh, one, one of our girls um, has a daughter who is autistic. And I mm-hmm. am thinking that even the experiences that we've had in our primary household with Matthew um, who has Apert syndrome, those are very different challenges than she now is experiencing or they now are experiencing with Emma. And so as, you know, as Rebecca is walking through these experiences and you're, and you're right, cycling through them over and over and over and over and over again, it's not like a, it's a once and done kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, as, as this child does not develop in the same ways that her older sister is is developing and then the the guilt of i do have this um this child who by all the world's accounts is normal and how do i make sure that she gets everything that she needs when so much attention is going to the child who who does have these um recognized special needs like right all of that is going mm-hmm. on in the special needs family um and this is a wonderful wonderful gift and resource for us in the midst of it the book is the other side of special One of the three co-authors is with us today, Amy Brown. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, yes, for those of you texting in, um, yes, there is a podcast. Take Heart Special Moms is the podcast that Amy Brown hosts alongside Sarah Klein and Carrie Holt. They are also the three co-authors of The Other Side of Special, the book we're talking about today. But you can check out their podcast, TakeHeartSpecialMoms.com. There's downloadable resources there for you as well. You can connect directly with Amy at AmyJBrown.com. Amy, again, thank you so much for being with us today for the book, for the podcast, um, for the lived experience. Um, can you speak directly to folks who want to be helpful? <laughs> like they, they want to be helpful, but they really just don't even know how to start a conversation with a family who has a child with special needs. Like, can you just ha- invite them to just talk to us? Yes, I, I would love to do that. Well, first of all, um, you just, 
talk to these families like they're just everyday families. Um, <laughs> that's the first thing. Um, <laughs> just walk in and say, how are you? Um, sometimes as a special needs parent, you don't want to have to go through the whole rigmarole of this is a diagnosis and, you know, mm -hmm. be a, you want just someone to see you, like I said earlier. So just go up and say, how are you? And also, how can I help? Sometimes, and I hear this all the time from my listeners, nobody's helping us. One woman said, nobody has shown up or asked us how we're doing for months. And so just ask how they're doing. Ask how you can help. It, it, it's really simple. Sometimes somebody just needs you to pick up a prescription or bring a meal or just, can I come bring you coffee? It's just that continual isolation I don't think it needs to be a big thing. You just need to start saying, tell me about your kid. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your other kids. And how can I help? Yeah, I've I've decided that um, anytime I'm in a public space, particularly if I'm by myself, <clears throat> and especially when I'm by myself, because I tend to embarrass my family otherwise. But um, I actually like seek people out. So I'm at an airport. I'm on an airplane. I'm in a grocery store. I'm at a Target, whatever. I am. Um, I'm actually looking for the mom who just needs somebody to see her. Right. And and so, Amy, that's what I say. I, I make mm -hmm. sure I find a way to get in her line of sight. Like mm -hmm. sometimes that's hard, but like get in her line of sight, look her in the eye and say, I see you. Mm-hmm. And then right. I pause and I say, can I help? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they like hand you their baby. Like yeah. <laughs> they just need, they need their hands to be free to get the stuff off the shelf into the buggy that they need. And they, they, they need another pair of hands or, you know, they're, yeah. I mean, and sometimes it's just the relief of being seen, of recognizing right. that I'm not invisible. I mean, I've got this right. giant buggy with people in it and I'm, trying to navigate the TSA, like, could somebody just help me? Yeah. So don't be afraid to, to see people, to tell them that you see them and to offer to help. I think that's really good counsel. Can I add one more thing though, Carmen? Please. If you see a child in a wheelchair, like, you know, my mm. co-writers have kids that have obvious disabilities. I don't. So I would also say extend grace to the kid that's totally losing it because oh, you yeah. don't, don't assume it's a bad parent. You just don't know what kind of brain trauma, what kind of other issue. This The, the families that have kids with invisible disabilities like myself, they always feel like they're being judged because their kid is losing it somewhere or behaving in a way that's not typical. And so I always say, please just extend grace. <laughs> you don't know what's behind what looks like a typical kid. Mm. I, that's so helpful. Thank you so much um, for that reminder as well. Um I think I'm wondering, like, it, um, it maybe invite you to talk a little bit about the impact that having a special needs child, the impact that has on your faith and your walk of faith, um, and particularly what you've heard from young moms. Because I feel like when you, when a child comes into your life and it's not the child you expected, Mm -hmm. um, it's obviously the child God knit together. It's the God, it's the child God conceived of. God has entrusted this child, um, to your particular care. Um, but it doesn't always feel that way to the new parent. Right. And I think initially, one of the things that we're not very good at is grieving. I think initially mm -hmm. we have to walk through that grief and name it. This is like, you feel bad to say, this is not what I expected, but 
that's the start of it because God knows our heart anyway, right? Like we're not hiding from him when we feel these feelings. So for me, I always tell moms, first of all, start with naming what you're feeling and it's okay to feel all those things. But remember that a lot of people will come up to us and say, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. And you're standing there wanting to ball because you're thinking, what is God doing? This is not a good situation. (laughs) But I always encourage moms to say, you have to remember God sees you and he gives us the grace for each day. And and one of the common things I think in any with any child, especially special needs kids, is what is it going to be like next year? What's it going to be like when they're an adult? And just staying in that present moment of just asking God to give you the grace for the, for the day. And I will say, I would not have chosen this path. My faith has grown. I mean, parenting has you on your knees more than anything, honestly. <laughs> special needs or not. But this, I just encourage moms, here where you are right now, you will be in a different place. And we can trust our good God to get you there. That doesn't mean it's all roses. That means that you will be on your knees and you'll be seeking him for the strength to get through the hard moments. Mm-hmm. But there's also joyful moments. It's not all hard. And I and as I look back on the lens of my life, I think, wow, God has grown me so much because I've had to depend on him, where I probably would have gone in on my own strength, honestly. Um, but I've had to depend on him and, and have to, sit with unanswered questions. Why God, is this going to get better? Is this thing going to happen? And I think that's a place we sit with God. That's really precious. It's hard, but he is with us in those moments. He brings us peace. He brings other people alongside. So I always say, first of all, name what you're feeling and then just continually sip by sip of grace every day, you know, reach out to God and he grows us in such ways that we can't expect. I don't know if uh, on the podcast you have uh, considered this topic yet, but if not, I'd love to have the conversation of preparing to live in a never empty nest. Yeah, that's a hard one. Because, yeah, right. That is a conversation that most families never have or many families never have. An increasing number of families are needing to have the conversation about um, facing the reality and preparing for and then living in a never empty nest. You are never as a special needs parent going to retire from this. Right. Um, yeah. And so um, it's a good, I think, uh, a good conversation to have going forward. I hope we can right. continue to talk. I've, I've loved, uh, I've loved the opportunity to meet you in this way today. Well, thank you so much. I, I just, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That's Amy Brown. She's one of the three co-authors of The Other Side of Special. Uh, She and her co-authors, Sarah and Carrie, also have a podcast, uh, Take Heart, Special Moms. I want to encourage you to check that out as well. You can connect directly with Amy and get all of those resources at amyjbrown.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Um, I want to uh, I want to sing a song into the lives of uh, families who have a special need uh, child today. And I want you to look up the lyrics to how do you solve a problem like Maria? And I want you to uh, consider that kids who are considered or uh, or appear to be a problem to others, visible and invisible because of their. Oh, did I run out of time? Did I run out of time, Paul? Oh, right, no, you, you have like uh, oh, no, 20 I seconds. Time. I hear. Oh, good. Yeah. Shoo. Sorry, my timer wasn't up and I heard the music and there you go. So how do you solve a problem like Maria? I want you to think about um, the lyrics of that song. And um, and I want then for you to say a word on behalf of that child who um, is treated like a problem. 
um, especially the ones treated like a problem. And thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.